Well, good morning all. It's so good to be with you again. Every church is different, but this is a very much a, a family church. Not just because so many of you are related to so many other people in the fellowship, but because all of us who belong to Jesus are related to one another, and we are family. But it's harder to express that in a big congregation than a small one. And you've got that nice sort of warm family feeling here, and I just love coming to share in it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we are gathered together in the name of Jesus because we belong to him, because we love him, because we want to learn of him and please him and get to know him better. And we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you will speak into our lives today and enrich us. Give us something extra, something that we hadn't quite understood before, something we hadn't quite experienced before. Father, we ask that you will meet with us and minister to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. We're going to look this morning at the story in Luke chapter 1 of the visit that Mary had from the angel Gabriel. In Luke chapter 1, reading from verse 28, we read, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she, was, who was said to be barren, is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me, as you have said. Then the angel left her. From time to time, we all have a variety of visitors. Some we're glad to see, some we're not always so pleased to see, let's be honest. Uh, and some visitors behave fairly normally, and some visitors sometimes come out with some strange words uh, or bring some strange Christmas presents. Well, Mary had a, a very, very strange visitor one day in her home in Nazareth. Nazareth lay, lies about 70 miles northeast of Jerusalem, 
And Gabriel, having been over in the temple in Jerusalem six months before, speaking to Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, now is sent by God to this quiet little place called Nazareth, a town in Galilee. We're going to focus this morning on looking at what Mary was given. What Mary was given through this visit from Angel Gabriel. First of all, she was given a new revelation of God. She learned new things about God through the visit of Gabriel. And really, each time we read our Bibles, which we ought to do every day if possible at home, and each time we come together in a gathering like this, where the Bible is being preached, taught, explained, we ought to be on the lookout for some new revelation, something we hadn't quite grasped before, something we hadn't quite understood before, something fresh about God, our wonderful Heavenly Father. And Mary certainly received, through the visit of Gabriel, a new revelation of God. First of all, he was revealed to her as the God who favours people, especially those he claims as his people. But we shall see in a minute the wider meaning of that word. A God who favours people. You see, when the angel Gabriel began to speak to Mary, the first thing he said was, Greetings, you who are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. And when he sensed that Mary was greatly troubled through his words, he said, Don't be afraid, Mary, you have found favour with God. Now, both in the Hebrew of the Old Testament and the Greek of the New Testament, the same word can be translated either favour or grace. We usually use the word grace, describing God's undeserved kindness to us. And that was the first thing Gabriel emphasised in his words to Mary. You are highly favoured. The Lord is with you. Now unfortunately, our Roman Catholic friends have put a slightly wrong slant on that. Because you see, what it was intended by the words of Gabriel was the fact that Mary was the recipient of grace. She was receiving very, very special grace from God. That's all it means. But unfortunately, the Catholic Church has taken that a stage further and made it mean that Mary has become the dispenser of grace. In other words, she can give grace to us. Sorry, but she can't. She was a recipient of grace, but very, very special grace it was. She had a new revelation of God as a God who favours his people. We find that word occurring again several times in the early chapters of Luke's Gospel. For example, in chapter 2, verse 14, when the great company of the heavenly host appear among the shepherds in the hillside who have heard the news about the arrival of this baby, 
The heavenly hosts declare glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favour rests. His grace rests. We move over to chapter 4 and we find our Lord Jesus having read in the synagogue of Nazareth and the prophecy of Isaiah including these wonderful words which of course were pointing to Jesus himself the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor he sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to release the oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour through the coming of God's son into the world there was a new chapter beginning if you like of the outpouring of God's grace, his kindness, his favour to human beings. Maybe we should be asking God that next year, 2015, will be in this nation of ours and indeed throughout the earth a year of God's special favour. Because you see, his favour, his grace, while consistent and ongoing all the time, there are occasions when his grace is poured out in greater measure and with greater effect. But of course it's not only in this context that we learn about God's favouring people. We go back, for example, to Psalm 24, which begins with these words, the Psalm of David, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. What is that saying? The earth it's not ours. We're meant to be managing it. We're stewards in it. Stewards of God. The world, the human race, all who live in it are the Lord's. One great preacher, and I can't remember who it was, said or wrote on one occasion, there is nothing on planet Earth, there is nobody on planet Earth over whom the Lord does not put his hand and say, Mine, mine. We are his, even before we come to know him through knowing Jesus. And if we turn again to Psalm 100, we find there too, Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know the Lord is God. It is he who made us. And we are his. So although we don't fully become his until we come to know him through the Lord Jesus Christ, even those who don't yet know Jesus, God says these people are mine. They're not the devils. They're mine. I created them. Ah, well, well. There's a new thought for our evangelistic outreach. Tell unbelievers, you know what? God says you are his. Oh, that's a shock. God says you are his. We go, for example, into John's Gospel. The beginning of John's Gospel, as John writes about the Lord Jesus as the Word of God. It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And he adds in verse 16, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. Well, well, from the fullness of his grace, his favour, his undeserved mercy. God is forever pouring out his grace 
to an undeserving people. Now, of course, at the heart of the gospel is this same thought. If we go to Romans chapter 3, we find Paul writing to Christians in Rome and saying, Now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference, but all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are, listen, justified freely by his grace. We move to chapter 5 of Romans. And Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You see, it's not just at the point of our conversion that we encounter the grace of God. Then his grace he cancels all our sins. He forgives all our sins the moment we repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's the beginning of a lifelong experience of the grace of God. We live in the realm of grace. Grace pouring upon us every day. Most of the time we don't realize it. But it's happening. We live in the realm of grace. No wonder the hymn Amazing Grace has become so well known and so greatly loved because you see it is true to God it is exactly true this is the God we're dealing with a God of amazing grace may we receive a new revelation of God the God who favours people and the God who fulfils his purposes verse 31 Mary hears the angel Gabriel saying to her, You will be with child and give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. But we've heard this before. We sang it this morning in Isaiah chapter 9. 700 plus years before Jesus was born Isaiah the prophet was led to write to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders he'll be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father prince of peace of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end he will reign in David's throne and over his kingdom establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and for ever. Now we don't know anything at all really about what kind of girl Mary was. She was probably still a teenager when she had this visit from Gabriel. And she may or may not have had any kind of real faith about God. We don't know. But she was Jewish. And she may even have known this prophetic word from the prophet Isaiah. And as Gabriel spoke these words to her about the baby she would bear. It could have been an echo in her mind. Oh, I've heard that before. Isn't that in the Old Testament? Isn't that in the Bible? Yes, exactly. And we move further, of course, into Isaiah's writing. And we come to the best known chapter of all, Isaiah 53, where the same prophet writes about the same child. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God promised centuries before Jesus was born to send the Messiah, to send the Saviour, to send a Deliverer, to send someone who would deal with the enormous problem of human sin. And on the board here in front of you this morning, you can see the promise from Isaiah, from Jeremiah chapter 29. Because, you see, Jeremiah was led by God to write to the Jewish exiles who were in Babylon, had been there for a long time, and were not very happy in that foreign land. And the Lord sent a message to them, and the message included these words from Jeremiah's pen. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And it is all bound up with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to be our Saviour and Lord and Friend. And just for good measure, if we go to Psalm 138, we find the psalmist saying this. We find him saying, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. If life has no purpose, it's pretty grim. But let's face it, there are many of our fellow human beings this morning who are really just existing. They're alive. But their life is anything but satisfying. It's anything but meaningful. They have no great sense of purpose. We sometimes hear people refer to what gets them out of bed in the morning. <laughs> Well, we know the feeling, especially in the winter days when it's, it's cold and we don't feel like getting out of bed in the morning. But what gets us out of bed in the morning? That's what we live for, our purpose. To have a sense of purpose is absolutely wonderful. And the fact that God's purpose should be not just to save us from our sins, not just to make us fit to go to heaven when we die, that's only part of it. But God's purpose includes the fact that he wants us from the time we come to know him to partner with him to be fellow workers with him to do what God wants us to do for him that others can be blessed through our cooperating with God isn't that a great privilege it's a thrill to have that sense of purpose so Mary received through the visit of Gabriel a new revelation of God as a God who favours people and a God who fulfills his purposes. Secondly, she received from God through the visit of Gabriel a new relationship with God. She had been selected for a unique role in human history. Absolutely unique. She was entering into a new relationship with God in which she experienced a wonderful transformation from insignificance to significance. If she had not been selected to become the mother of our Lord Jesus Christ, her name would probably never have gone into history books at all. Her name would have been forgotten centuries ago. Just one more Jewish young woman who married and had children and died and that was it. But 
she was transformed from insignificance to significance. And to see if a lack of purpose in life is a, a very sad thing, a very disabling thing. It's also true that insignificance has the same effect. It's much the same thing really, isn't it? Human beings are programmed by God to long for love and to long for significance. If we have no significance, what are we here for? What is life worth if we have no significance? But Mary, you see, was lifted from insignificance to significance as a result of the visit of the angel Gabriel. We go back, for example, to Isaiah 42, a passage in which the servant of the Lord is being described, and this servant of the Lord is Jesus, the coming Messiah. Where it is written through Isaiah, the Lord saying, the Father saying, I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. Well, a bruised reed? Only fit for the bin. A smouldering wick? It's finished. Throw it away. And many people in this world today just feel a bit like that. A bruised reed? Pretty worthless. A smouldering wick? Pretty useless. And many people are treated as being like that, sadly. But that's not the way the Lord treats us. The Lord Jesus, no matter how insignificant we appear to be, how inadequate, how ill-equipped to be anything but ordinary, the Lord sees us not as something to be discarded, as someone to be written off, but completely the opposite. He sees that we can be significant. And one chapter later in Isaiah 43, the Lord says to people, you are precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. I love you. I do hope this morning that you share my own God-given sense that the Lord in saving me has lifted me from insignificance to significance. He has given me a life in which I can do something worthwhile, not just for time, but for eternity. And Mary received this wonderful transformation, not just from insignificance to significance, but from fear to faith. Many people in the world this morning live in fear. Wouldn't you, if you were in danger of being attacked and put to death, murdered, as people are being murdered all over the world this morning in the news, it was reported that some Christians had been attacked in India. They were worshipping God openly in the open air, celebrating the birth of Jesus, and they were cruelly attacked by fanatical Hindus. Oh dear. Oh dear. Many people live in fear. And Mary, obviously, was a bit frightened by this extraordinary announcement from Gabriel. Never mind the announcement, the fact that he came. An angel. When did you get a visit from an angel? When did I get a visit from an angel? It's not exactly commonplace. And here is this girl in a humble home in Nazareth, and somebody comes to the door, and it's one of the archangels. There are only two, Michael and Gabriel. Oh, and she's troubled at his words. She can't figure out what's happening here. 
She's uneasy. She is afraid. And so Gabriel says to her, Do not be afraid. And that command is repeated again and again and again throughout Scripture. Do not be afraid. Yes. She is moved from fear to faith. And back in that wonderful 43rd chapter of Isaiah, we have twice over God saying, Do not be afraid, I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. Do not be afraid, I am with you. And that's exactly what Gabriel said. Do not be afraid, the Lord, the Lord is with you. You see, if lack of purpose, lack of significance, tend to disable us and cripple us and make us feel, well, what's the point of trying to do anything worthwhile? In the same kind of way, some people are afraid to attempt certain things in case it doesn't work out, in case it goes badly wrong. And that can be a real hindrance. We're not meant to live by fear, we're meant to live by faith. And Mary was lifted, transformed from insignificance to significance and from fear to faith. A new relationship with God in which she experienced a wonderful transformation and in which she expressed a beautiful, a beautiful submission. You see verse 38, the last verse in that passage we read says, Mary's response to the angel's words, I, she said, am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now this girl must already have understood the implications of the working of God's purpose for her. She was about to become an unmarried mother in a community, in a culture where that was a dreadful disgrace, a dreadful thing to happen. And she knew that as it was evident to those who saw her that she was pregnant, she knew very well that tongues would wag, that she would experience cruel criticism. It would not be an easy role in the initial stages and not even later. But nevertheless, she said, I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said. Beautiful expression of submission. I suspect we underestimate the importance of submission. It isn't a very popular word. But if we think of our Lord Jesus himself, we go to Hebrews chapter 10, for example, and we find the writer saying this, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, he's talking to his Father, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. And if we go back into Mark chapter 14 and go to Gethsemane, what do we read? 
we read that the disciples and the Lord Jesus, after sharing the Last Supper in the upper room, they went out to this place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible the hour might pass from him. You see, we need to remember that our Lord Jesus was fully God. Always. Before he came into the world, while he was in the world, and after he left the world. Fully God. 100% divine. But when he came into the world in human form, he was also 100% human. 100% human. With all the natural apprehension, fear, dread of what he knew lay ahead of him. We cannot measure that. We cannot guess the anguish he experienced as he cried out, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. <coughs> and praise God, he went through with it. Didn't he say to the disciples, I could call for legions of angels, they would rescue me. In other words, he was saying, I don't have to do this, but I'm going to do it. When I did it for you, I did it for me, that we might be saved from our sins. And that would never have happened had he not submitted, submitted 100% to the will of God. How important is submission? Very important. It's one of the important keys to successful Christian living. James tells us, submit to God and resist the devil. Don't try and resist the devil without submitting to God. Submit to God. Live in submission to God. Paul teaches, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul teaches that in an ideal Christian home, a wife should submit to her husband. We should submit to our leaders according to Hebrews 13. Right across the board, we're called as Christians to submit. What is the opposite of submission? The opposite is rebellion. Some of you are old enough perhaps to remember the Billy Graham film that was called The Heart is a Rebel. And that's exactly true. Behind all the unrests and upsurge and cruelty and dreadful things that happen in the world, there is this awful fact that human beings without the Lord Jesus Christ are living in rebellion against God. Human beings by nature don't want to submit. We want our own way, don't we? Remember what you were like before you, you were saved from your sin. I can remember what I was like. I wanted my own way. Yes. Well, God's way. Not somebody else's way. My way. It's ironical that that song, which has become so popular, says, I did it my way. That's the tragedy of the human race. Not something to boast about. I did it my way. You see, when we come to be new people in Jesus Christ, we can 
and ought to do a complete U-turn. We ought to leave this whole rebellion thing behind. What right have I to rebel against God when he has gone to these lengths to save me from my sins? And if he tells me that submission is a key to successful, fulfilling Christian living, shouldn't I embrace submission with both hands? But we don't, do we? Gradually over the years, hopefully, we learn to become more submitted to God. And the more submitted we are, the more free we are. The hymn writer George Matheson, who wrote the hymn, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go, wrote another hymn which says, Make me a captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer or be. I sink mid life's alarms, but by myself I stand. Imprison me within thine arms. And strong, strong will be my hand. I often speak, as you've probably heard already, about the things that Christians ought to pray for themselves. Let me be very, very personal with you for a moment. In my prayer at night before I settle down to sleep, one of the things I say to the Lord is this. I say, Father, as I come again to take your gift of sleep, I submit myself afresh to the Lordship of Jesus. And in my prayer in the morning, I ask to be freshly filled with the Spirit of God that I might live in submission to Jesus. You see, we see a beautiful expression of submission in Mary's words. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me, as you have said. Can I lovingly, gently challenge you this morning and say, do you honestly believe before God that right now you are living as best you know in complete submission to the Lordship of Jesus? That means our whole life all that we are, all that we have is surrendered to him George Matheson was right it's only as we are imprisoned within the arms of Jesus and committed to living in submission to him that we're totally free it's great to be free hallelujah what did Mary receive? She was given a new revelation of God, she was given a new relationship with God, and she was given a new reality from God. You see, new life began to be formed in her. No husband, no man in her life at that point. She was engaged to be married, but not yet married. And she was puzzled as to how she could have a baby and the angel Gabriel assured her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. A new life began to be formed in Mary's womb. But here the men are somewhat of a disadvantage. Those of you ladies who have had children can imagine no doubt the feelings of Mary 
as she sensed this little one growing and developing in her womb, aware each day that this child who would one day be born is the Son of God. I will be called the Son of God, will be recognized as the Son of God. What an extraordinary experience that must have been for Mary. A new reality from God, a new life being formed in her. But that is an illustration, is it not, of what happens to us when we come to Jesus. Before we come to Jesus, our life is spiritually dead and spiritually empty. And then we're born again. Jesus said, you must be born again of no other way. You must be born again. Born of water and the Spirit. And as we're born again, new life is formed within us. Because the Lord Jesus comes by His Spirit and actually lives in our bodies. Yes. New life formed within us. And Paul tells us that if anyone is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the wonder of it all is that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, it works both ways. It's true both ways. And Paul says, if that's where you're at, that you've got a new creation. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. New life was formed in Mary. And in the fullness of time, at the end of nine months or thereabouts, new life flowed from her. You will be with child and give birth to a son. Yes, that's a wonderful promise that was given to Mary. And it was abundantly fulfilled. Abundantly fulfilled. That little baby was eventually born. The day came when in that stable in Bethlehem, Mary went into labor, and little Jesus came forth into the world. Oh, how, how marvelous. How very, very wonderful. But you see, again, there's a parallel here. Because we, when we become the Lord Jesus' people, what we who will become Christians, new life is formed in us. The life of God formed in us. But then the life of God, if things are working well in our Christian lives, the life of God will flow out from us. You see, Jesus said, If any man thirst for them, come to me and drink. Out of his inner being, as the scripture has said, rivers of water will flow out. And John tells us he was referring to the Holy Spirit. And he said, if we are really fulfilling our calling as God's people, part of his new creation, Christian people, the body of Christ, then day by day, whether we're aware of it or not, out from our innermost beings, if we're filled with the Spirit of God, out from our innermost beings as an overflow, a silent most of the time, silent overflow that's touching the people we mix with, that's touching the people we speak to and that's why it's so wonderful to ask day by day to be freshly filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit because we never know who we're going to meet what situation God's going to put us in and somebody 
is going to be touched in a way by the Spirit of God flowing from your life, flowing from my life. Touched in a way that will transform them either into new creatures that are not already saved or into much more effective Christians if they are already believers. What a day that was in the life of the Virgin Mary. She received a new revelation of God, a God who favors his people, a God who fulfills his purposes, a new relationship with God in which she experienced a wonderful transformation and in which she expressed that beautiful submission and a new reality from God. As this little child was formed within her, and eventually come, came forth from her very body. How wonderful. Let's pray.